Amen. All right, let's dive into this. Take out your Bibles. Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. We can begin. We're in part 30 of our Empowered Church series, walking through the book of Acts. And if you're brand new to us, I'll catch you up. No worries. We're just watching the rise of the early Christian church, this movement that was going to take over the world. And we've been following a variety of early Christians. And one of the main groups is a gentleman named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. He wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. He's one of the primary founding theologians of Christianity. He's traveling around on his second missionary journey, and he has along with him a team. He has a prophet by the name of Silas. Those are the two big dogs. They have a young man named Timothy, who's their protege. And then they have Dr. Luke, who is traveling with them, and also the one that is writing this book. So he's the recorder of what is happening, all right? Now, before we dive into the story, I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with some thoughts, and it's going to require us turning to one other passage. So could you just turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4.6? 2 Timothy 4.6, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 996. 996. If you're reading out of the ESV like I am, 996 will at least get you close to it. You just got to find it. Second Timothy follows what? First Timothy. Okay. You're welcome. Second Timothy 4.6. Here's what he says. This is Paul talking to his protege. And he said this, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How incredibly cool that he's saying, listen, I'm coming to the end of my stint here on earth. I nailed it. I did what I was called to do. How amazing that you would be able to get to the end of your life and say, yep, I did it well. That's pretty amazing. Notice what he didn't say. What he didn't say was I did everything right, my ministry was successful, and everything went well. He didn't say any of that. That's not realistic. What he said was, I did my best. And that's what we do. We can do this. Like when we're going to be talking about perseverance today, about not giving up, about living a successful Christian life, and success for the believer is obedience. That's it. We don't have anything else to bring to the table but obedience to our Lord. He knows all the stuff. He brings all the power. Our job is to just keep saying yes every day of our lives, and we can do that. He's not telling you to be more brilliant. He's not telling you to be more successful in the world's eyes. He's just telling you to say yes. And we can do it. We as a family, every believer here, we can do that. 
Because really, the key to how successful Paul was in this life had to do with living well, and that had to do with perseverance. He just kept going. And I can tell you how it feels for him to keep doing that. Because last night, I was coming over here for service. I was walking from my office in the other building, and I was reflecting with the Lord. I was saying, Lord, how many times have we made this walk? How many times is it, Lord, you got to anoint me, here we go, I'm going to go preach again, right? For me, in this church, 26 years of doing it. After that, before that, was four years in another ministry. Before that, I was teaching since I was 15 years old. That's a lot of times, and you know how it goes? You suit up every day. That's it. I preached when I had the flu. I preached when I had a cold. I preached when I felt it. I preached when I didn't feel it. I preached when I felt spiritually vibrant and when I didn't. The point is you suit up every day and you just keep going. Now, too many of us, we're kind of like, well, there's points in my life when I'm fired up for the Lord and points when I'm not. You're absolutely right, but you're still a believer. You see, I'm not a Christian because it works for me. That's garbage. As a matter of fact, it doesn't work all that well for me. I'm a Christian because I can't be otherwise. You see, Christianity to me is the only reality that makes sense. So when I've dug down deep into my heart and I know it's like existence and like air, it just is what it is. I'm a Christian because there is a God and I have to connect with him and he made a way. That's why I'm a Christian. And what that allows me to do is to realize I've committed now to that mindset so no matter what happens to me, I will still be a believer. I will still be a child of God. I didn't tell you I was going to be a good one. I didn't tell you I was going to be a happy one. I wasn't even going to tell you I was going to be a righteous one. I can be a mess of a Christian. I can be a rebellious Christian, but I just can't stop being a Christian. Does that make sense? I am who I am. I'm a child of God. That doesn't change. No matter what happens, no matter how far I fall off, I'm still who I am. I'm a child of God. And what that means is that once again, we pick up and we move forward. We pick up and we move forward. That's how it works. We have to expect opposition. There's going to be opposition because the Bible promised it. You're going to have stuff that resists you inside and stuff that resists you on the outside. Sometimes it's gonna be super overt. Sometimes it's gonna be really, really subtle. And because we don't know what form it's going to take, we just have to make one decision. I will still say, Lord Jesus, every day. We still can make that decision. I don't know what's gonna come hit me. I don't know how much it's gonna spin me. I don't know how much it's gonna throw me, but I do know this. I am his and he is mine. That's all I got. And we lock into that. And the apostle Paul had that ferocity. He had the type of ferocity I call the Helen Keller ferocity, right? Raise, raise your hand. Anybody know Helen Keller, right? All right. Okay, cool. Uh, if, I'm not sure what rock you were hiding under if you don't know who Helen Keller is, but maybe she's not being taught in history. I don't know. But here's the reality. Let me, let me recap her story. At 19 months old as a baby, she contracted a disease. Nobody knows what it was, right? Because at that time, the doctors didn't know. Likely meningitis. She ended up 
losing contact with the outside world. And the reason why is she was simultaneously blinded and made deaf. So the challenge with that is if you're deaf, you will try to compensate visually. If you are blind, you try to compensate audibly. But if both are locked down, you don't have those opportunities. And so you would say, if anyone had a reason to say, I was dealt bad cards, I'm going to implode inside of myself, and I will just live in a shell, it would have been Helen Keller. And yet, check this out, by the time her life was done, she was a college graduate, wrote 14 books, toured 35 countries as an ambassador for the blind. She fought for women's suffrage, labor rights, world peace, and was a founding member of the ACLU. What have you been doing with your life? I mean, are you following me? Like, what the heck? If anybody had an excuse not to do amazing things, it was that lady. And yet she's crushing it, right? And so the whole point was is that Paul had a ferocity like that. Here's what his looked like. He said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That was his mentality. He said, honestly, he wrote it in a letter. I would rather die and be with my God because I know that's gonna be awesome. But honestly, I think I need to stay because I got more ministry to help you out. That's his mindset. He said, what can man do to me? My King Jesus has already secured everything that matters. My purpose is locked. My future is locked. My love is locked. My identity is locked. No one can take anything of worth from me. So I will live for my Lord, build his kingdom, not mine, every day of my life. That ferocity got him through to say, I did it. If we want to finish life well, it's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's what? We can't get derailed by opposition. We can't get derailed by opposition. It will come. We must push through. Amen? Now, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17, we're going to dive into our study today, page 926, Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Last time we were together, if you're brand new or joining us in the series, as this team has been traveling through on this like three-year journey, we found out last time they were in a place called Thessalonica. They're in Greece now. And they last were beaten with rods, thrown into prison for doing the work of the ministry. God sent this crazy, miraculous earthquake, shattered their chains and set them free. The jailer ends up freaking out. They minister to him. He gets saved. His whole family gets saved. There's this little baby jail revival, and they're released to go off. And what do they do? They suit up and go on to the next town and do it all over again. Man, these guys are hardcore, all right? Let's go ahead and pick it up there, Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they passed through the next city two days later, and the next city two days later, they came to the next city two days later. Here's what's interesting. They just walked 100 miles, 
right? Like when you read the Bible, you're kind of like, oh, and they went next door, and they went next door. No, no, no. They walked 100 miles to their next location, right? All right. How did it go? Well, there was a synagogue of the Jews. Well, that's cool. That didn't happen in the last city. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, for three weeks, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom I proclaim to you, he's it. He's the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as Christians, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Okay, let's pause. It says, Paul reasoned with them from Scripture. He began to tell them what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. Now, that's pretty hardcore. That's pretty amazing. It means he knew his Bible really, really well. So here's my question. Do you? Right? Because this is kind of interesting. Most of us don't want to share our faith because we're completely freaked out. Somebody's going to ask us a question we don't have the answer to. Right? Oh, my gosh. What if they ask me a question? Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a real fast training with you, and we're going to go through something, and we could go through it in Greek, we could go through it in Hebrew, but we're going to go ahead and stick with English today. All right? You ready? I need you to memorize three words. I don't know if you need to write them down or not, but here you go. You ready? Three words. I don't know. Okay, now, if you can memorize that phrase, I don't know you're going to feel much better about ministering to other people. Because here's the truth. They're going to ask you a question, and you're not going to have the answer. And so you go, yeah, I don't know. You're okay. Nothing blew up. Nobody suddenly went to hell. It all worked out. Because they're not asking a Bible scholar. They're asking a real person. And they should not expect that you would know all the answers. So don't start faking it and making up stuff. Just say the phrase, yeah, I don't know. Because if they go, what happened to the dinosaurs? You say, I don't know. No idea. That is weird. Good point. Anyway, can I talk to you about I was lost, now I'm found? Okay, cool. Because you just tell the story, you do know, because you don't have everything answered. Nobody knows everything. I'm a Bible fanatic. I do this every day of my life. I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff I don't know. That doesn't mean I don't have something valuable to share. So I just want to empower you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can share what you do know. You're not going to know everything. You're okay, right? And it's all right to say that. Yeah? So he starts reasoning from the scriptures. And what is he trying to prove? That Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because that was the sticking point for the Jewish people. He did not need to argue there was a God. He did not need to argue that God was personal. He did not need to argue creation or sin. They were masters at all of that. They're like, dude, I've been studying this since I was a child. I know this stuff backwards and forwards. He had to go in where they were at, which was, all right, so we're looking for the Savior. Who's the Messiah? He's like, it's Jesus. They're like, yeah, no, I don't think he is. And he, well, why would you say that? Because we know from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah is a warrior king who will lead the Jews to military victory. 
And he's like, okay, hold on. I'm not arguing with you. What I'm telling you is it's an and. He is a military victor, but he is also the suffering servant that has to die for the sins of the world. And they're like, I don't see that in the Bible. He said, all right, let me show you. And he goes through. Side note, does the Old Testament talk about the Messiah? As a matter of fact, one website I was studying on the other day recounted 391 prophecies about the Messiah. That's a lot. Which ones were he highlighting? Well, he was highlighting the ones that they cared about, which was the stuff that said it was Jesus. He would say things like, well, you know where he was born, right? What does the Old Testament say? Bethlehem. Yep. And yet he was called a what? A Nazarene. All right. And his ministry is supposed to start where? Galilee. Okay. Are you not tracking with me? It's this dude. Like he's the guy. And how is he supposed to die? Well, I don't think the Messiah was supposed to die. Yeah, but we just established that you're an idiot. (laughs) So let's go back again, shall we? Okay, cool. So he's going to die. How's he going to die? Well, he's going to be lifted up. On what? On a tree. And then what's going to happen? He's going to be pierced. Oh, but are any bones going to be broken? No, that's against the Old Testament prophecy. I know. So what I'm trying to tell you is it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what he was arguing about. But in order to do that, he did need to know the Word of God. Here's my encouragement to you. You have to study the Bible. You don't need to become a scholar, but you do need to become knowledgeable. Because here's the truth. The majority of study you will ever do is not about you. It's about an obstacle you're going to move for somebody else. Okay? Because a lot of us, were so desperate in our lives. i got to read the Bible for me. I hope my devotions tell something about my day. Right? The Bible's not a magic eight ball. If you shake the Bible up, open it up, it's supposed to say something for today. That's not really how it works. So we study it and we load in a bunch of stuff and you go, oh, I don't know how that applies because it doesn't apply to you yet. It applies to you maybe three weeks down the road or it applies to you talking with somebody else. So we're always supposed to study for whatever God brings, right? We are faithful today so we can answer tomorrow. That's kind of how it works. Here's the other interesting thing. Why were the Jews so resistant to the message? Because they couldn't see it. In the Bible, they only saw the victorious warrior Messiah. They had what I call new car syndrome. Here's new car syndrome. Have you ever bought a new car and suddenly they're everywhere on the street? Yeah, where you're like, I'm the only one buying a Volt. And then suddenly they're everywhere. Why does everyone do what I do? And you're like, no, they were always out there. You just never paid attention, right? You suddenly can only see that. What happens is, is human beings see something, we lock it in as truth, and then we can't see otherwise. Unfortunately, that happens with our theological systems. Your parents taught you something, Your prior pastor taught you something, and you see it everywhere in the Bible. Well, here's what's interesting. While you're arguing your position, someone else is looking in the Bible, and they only see the other position. So who's right? Because when we lock in, we will glance over anything that is contrary to our opinion, and we only track on what agrees with us, which is why we must always operate with humility. We lock in what we believe we know, 
we say, this is what I'm seeing in Scripture, although I may be missing something, and I'm going to keep tracking with God to see if he has any clarity for me in this situation, as opposed to just being doggedly determined to argue with everyone that disagrees with us. Does that make sense? Because we may be wrong on something, yeah? I can assure you we are all wrong on a variety of things. We just don't know it yet, okay? So we keep studying and we don't walk away. But the most important thing that we learn about Paul's approach here is that you always tailor the gospel to where the person is that you're ministering to. Once again, next week, we're gonna be talking about Paul walking into a pagan environment and his approach is drastically different. When he deals with Jews, he talks about the Messiah. When he deals with non-Jews, he talks about God in general. You always tailor the good news to who you're speaking to. Why? Because too often, we go with a preset agenda and we start talking about stuff nobody cares about, right? We leave our house with our little track and we start talking to somebody who we don't know about their personal sin. That's weird. They don't, they don't know you. They didn't invite you to talk about their sin. What are you talking about their sin for? That doesn't make any sense. Because here's the truth. God's been working on them since they were in their womb. In other words, you've got to figure out how to catch up with what he's been doing, join in in the right moment, and carry it forward. How would you do that? All great ministry begins with listening. Listen to the tracking movement of God. What has he done already? Because if somebody comes to you and they're in a place of desperation, God has already worked on them and got them there. You don't need to start talking about dinosaurs. You don't need to start talking about Mormonism because right now they're saying, I'm hurting. So what you do is you bring the good news of Jesus Christ and you match it with where they're at and they can move forward. That's how we do it. We don't change the gospel, we tailor the portion of the gospel that makes sense to them as they move forward. That's our job, all right? It says some of the Jews were persuaded, but remember, you don't argue anyone into the kingdom, you argue obstacles out of their way, okay? And then it says something interesting. Jews got saved, Greeks got saved, and not a few influential women. Why does he mention that? Well, if you remember, by the time he's arrived on the Greek shores, women have been the power players. Who was the first convert to Christianity? Lydia. She was a woman that started a church in her home. We're now watching the tracking pattern of the movement of Christianity. Now all of a sudden he ministers in another town. Influential women are totally different in this segment, this context, and they're changing the world. So he's like, man, write that down, Luke. We got that. There's some more power women. All right, great. Pick it up in verse five. But the Jews, the radical group of Jewish leaders, were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, setting the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other Christian brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has hosted them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king named Jesus. 
And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when the group had paid bail, they let them go. The brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to the medium-sized town of Berea, 50 miles away. And when they arrived there, they started all over again in the Jewish synagogue. Okay, let's pause. I clarified something when it said the Jews, and I explained a radical group of Jewish leaders. Why did I say that? Let me make a statement, and this is not just a rule for Bridgeway. I'm going to suggest it as a rule for all believers. Right? Here we go. True Christianity is never anti-Semitic. I'm going to say that again. True Christianity is never anti-Semitic. That means anti-Jewish, right? Why? Because that's our family. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Jewish people. Christianity doesn't exist. We serve the Jewish Messiah. He's a Jew. All the original 12 were Jews. The beginning of Christianity was all Jewish. That's our team. They are the chosen people of God. They are precious. When it says the Jews stood against him, it means a group. Remember, the Jews were also the ones that threw down palm branches in Jerusalem shouting, Hosanna, here comes the king. That's the Jewish people. If we're going to talk about who was resistant, yes, the Jewish people in general struggled to figure out if he's the Messiah, totally appropriate, but a small radical group of leaders wanted to oppose the gospel in any way they could. They do not represent all Jewish people. We are pro-Jewish. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep moving forward. It says, now this group were jealous. Jealous of what? Likely, they were jealous of the fact that people were turning to another team. They didn't like that because that was a loss of power and authority. Now, here's what's interesting. In their minds, I bet you anything, they argued, I'm only trying to protect the truth. Right? Because that's what everybody says. But if it was just about truth, don't you think they would have more of a humble perspective? Don't you think that they would have been more gentle? Because if they're truly seeking the truth, there's no reason for anger. But they're super mad. Just think about it this way. Think about the things that you get really upset about. Is it really about truth or is something else going on in your heart? Why are you so upset about it? If something ticks you off, let's say it's politics, ask yourself, why am I getting so angry that it would literally tempt me to act non-Christian? What the heck is going on in your world that that would be so? What, it's altering your identity? No, 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 no. So once again, are we seeking truth? Do we have something that is righteous? Well, then shouldn't we then operate in the way that Jesus did when he was angry and righteous? Totally different than how we're acting. This is where we got to keep checking ourselves because every Pharisee believed he was on the right side. Yeah? So nobody ever says, I'm on the wrong side. Right? They would just switch sides. Okay? It says... They attacked the house of Jason. What the heck did Jason do? 
He's like, hey, can we stay at your place? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Now I'm being attacked. Oh, no. Right? And you're like, oh, poor Jason. <laughs> right? And then some other brothers, because they were trying to arrest the big dogs. They couldn't find them, so they grabbed anybody they could. Okay, quick question for you. And this is one that has always shook me. Would you have been a household that hid the Jews in the Holocaust? Because here's what's interesting. You got to think through it because your first reaction is you want to say yes, because you want to be a good guy. But here's the problem. If you had kids, you're putting your kids in danger, right? How much is it worth to you? How much will you do good despite the cost? Because Jason knew who he was bringing into his house and it cost him didn't just cost him money, it actually cost him his safety and the safety of his family. But if no one's hiding the missionaries, how are we ever handling this, right? Somebody's got to step out. Yesterday, I was driving to church, and I followed a car, and they had a bunch of different bumper stickers, which I couldn't quite figure out what they were into. They all seemed very random. And then, but under their license plate, in purple lettering that was super small, so I had to rear-end them to find out... <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if you're going to have a message on your car, make it bigger. <laughs> anyway, I pulled up real close, and it said, if not you, who? No context. I was like, sermon material? Yeah! <laughs> nice! Thank you, all right? So once again, if not Jason, who? Who was going to host them, right? But he got in trouble for it. And what was the charges against them? They're promoting an anti-government message. They're saying there's a King Jesus. Now, once again, how do you hit the hot buttons of the Roman officials? Say that. Mess with your emperor. Mess with Caesar. And they're going to freak out on you. Okay? Remember this. People are so easy to manipulate. I can get this into a rally with pitchforks in about 20 minutes if I wanted to. Why? Because I know exactly how to play off your emotions. That's messed up. Just remember, you want to make sure you're on the right side, as passionate as you are. Yeah? They thought they were on the right side, and they weren't. All right, here we go. Pick it up in verse 11. Now, these Jews, once again, general group of Jews in Berea, were more noble than those in the last city. For they receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things that Paul was saying were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as the men. There it goes again. But when the Jews from, this from the last town, the bad guys, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul here too, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds. Man, these guys are doggedly determined. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away for his safety to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained in the town for ministry, and those who took Paul brought him as far as Athens, Greece. And after receiving a command for his team to come join him as soon as possible, they departed. Okay, let's talk about this. They're in a new town. These Jews handled things very differently. They wanted the truth. So they began searching scriptures. Oh my gosh, what did Paul say? Yeah, I see that in my Bible too. I see that in my Bible too. They were what's called Bereans. Why were they Bereans? Well, they were from Berea. Okay, cool. 
Anybody remember that we used to have uh, a Christian bookstore named Berean Christian Bookstore? So the concept of Berean meant studier of the Bible. And if that's what you mean by it, more power to you. That's amazing because I think that's what we should all be. Here's my problem with Bereans today. Most people that call themselves Bereans are actually jerks. And what I mean by that is that somehow they became justified that they were going to search Scripture to just be right. They're using it as a weapon, and they spend the vast majority of their time talking about what's wrong with everybody else's Christian life or Christian ministry. They call themselves watchdogs. The problem with that is they don't look anything like Jesus. But they spend all their time trying to tear down somebody else. Listen, in all my years of ministry, I cannot remember one significant resistance to my ministry for Jesus Christ coming from the world. Now, lots from Satan, but I've never had any from the world. Now, that's kind of embarrassing because maybe I'm not doing it right. All my reasons for wanting to quit have come from Christians. All my reasons for giving up the ministry have come from church people who call themselves Bereans. So in my mind, Bible study for good is wonderful. Bible study for power is bad. Does that make sense? So remember, the Pharisees knew the Bible better than the disciples. What Jesus said was, you diligently search the scriptures, but what you don't find is me. If your Bible study makes you more judgmental, you're doing it wrong. If your Bible study makes you more grace-filled, you're doing it right. So our job is to seek the Lord, not to seek how to be more right. Does that make sense? For we are being equipped with weapons that are not for flesh, but against principalities and powers and rulers in darkness, right? That's what we do, all right? A couple other things and then we'll finish out is it says these people... These legalistic group hunted them everywhere they went. These guys will not let it go. They end up sending Paul away on a ship because clearly 100 miles or 50 miles isn't far enough. They'll just keep following them. They're like the hounds of hell, man, chasing after them. But here's what's interesting. Just remember, their whole focus now became their life was what they're against. You can't live a healthy life being against something, you have to be for something, right? So think about your life. Is most of your thoughts gravitating towards what you're against or are your thoughts mostly gravitating of what you're for? One's gonna bend you one direction, one's gonna bend you the other direction. At the end of the day, we need to realize two things have to be true about us. Number one, we are tenaciously believers. When you walk out of here today, we're all gonna have a varying degree of a good day or a bad day. You're still a child of God. Guess what next week? Could be good, could be bad, we're still a child of God. We never remove Lord Jesus from our lips. Doesn't matter what happens because we can't undo reality, right? So number one, we are tenacious, but number two, we are tenacious in the right way. We don't want to be the radical Jewish attackers. They were tenacious. We want to be the Paul and his team tenacious, which is tenacious with love, tenacious with grace, 
tenacious with truth, tenacious with wisdom, and we can walk out absolutely powerful to impact the world. Stand up where we need to stand up. Do what we need to do, but we can do so in a manner that Christ would. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for opening up your word to us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating what we need to know, how we need to know it, how you, you specifically drop little drops of beauty into each one of our spirits as we hear this. That, Lord, some of us were encouraged here or convicted here, and that's because you're so good at teaching your kids. So we glorify you today. We praise you today. Would we have your heart, your ferocity as we go out and may our lips forever praise you as king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.